Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. This week, Jelani Lewis shares with us a message titled, I Want That. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it up to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, which is a very familiar passage of scripture. We're going to begin at verse 1. As you are making your way there, I do want to take a moment and honor your pastor and his wonderful wife, Juliet. I have, I have known your pastor for several years, and in our relationship, he really has become like a big brother to me. And he has encouraged me, he has coached me, he has called things out in my life, and I am forever grateful to Pastor Tim Ross. And I think it would be appropriate for us just to take a moment and thank God for good leadership. So can we praise God for the leadership you have at this house? Amen. 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 Uh, my wife and family are also here. Uh, she was sitting on the front row, but my my uh, 20-month-old got called out of children's class. So, and we just got here. So, um, so anyway, my wife's here. She is the best thing uh, that ever happened to me besides Jesus. And my uh, 20-month-old, you can pray for him because he's trying to figure this thing out. And then my, uh, I have a daughter. Her name is Judah. She is three years old. Uh, but she thinks she's 33. And uh, she specifically told me yesterday, I, I said, I was, I was practicing in the shower, and she said, what are you doing? I said, well, Daddy's going to speak at a church tomorrow. And she said, well, you make sure you tell them I'm good. <laughs> so if you were wondering how my daughter's doing, she's good at three years old. So Genesis 22, starting at verse 1. I will be reading out of the New Living Translation. It begins with, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Everyone say tested. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, everybody say next morning. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, this is verse 4, Abraham looked up and saw the place in a distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. Everybody say worship. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Now, let's skip on to verse 9. Uh, in between there is a wonderful dialogue between a father and his son, but we'll look at verse 9. It says, when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on top, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld 
from me, even your son, your only son. The title of the message today is, I want that. I want that. I want you to turn to your neighbor and just look him in the eyes right now and just say, I want that. I want that. Now, why don't you turn to your other neighbor who you obviously don't like as much, who is your second choice, and just say to them, I guess I want that too. I guess I want that too. Uh, Let's pray. Father, I pray in these next few moments that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. I pray that you would open our ears to hear what you are saying and that you would open our hearts to respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I grew up about three hours east of here in Shreveport, Louisiana. And amen, amen. And I grew up in a home. My dad was a good father. He was a great provider, very supportive. Uh, My mother, on the other hand, though, was the the real spiritual influence in my life. She was was the one that called the prayer meetings in our home. Uh, She was She was the one that would read Bible stories to my siblings and I. She was the one that taught us how to worship. In fact, my my mother was the worship leader in the small charismatic church that I grew up in. I remember one Sunday, my mother was playing the piano in a ministry moment. And uh, I'll never forget, I was just a teenager at the time. And as she's playing the keys in this ministry moment, she says something I'll never forget. She says into the microphone, Jelani, don't you want to dance before the Lord? The last thing I wanted to do as a teenager in front of my peers was dance in front of the Lord. The problem is I grew up where you just don't tell your mother no, right? So the next thing I know, I'm up walking down to the front and I'm doing an interpretive dance for Jesus, hoping he would rapture me and he did not. (laughs) But she taught us how to worship. Not only that, my mother was the one that introduced us to pastors, to preachers, to teachers via cassette tape, of course. I remember listening to Jesse Duplantis. He's from down south Louisiana, New Orleans. I loved him. I'm sure he had biblical principles he taught, but I don't remember any. He was just funny. (laughs) I remember listening, of course, to Bishop T.D. Jakes. I always wanted to sound like T.D. Jakes. He's got that baritone voice. I always wanted to sound like him. The problem was is that when I would preach, I sounded more like Carlton from Fresh Prince. It was discouraging for me. And then there was a man by the name of Joseph Garlington. I only had one cassette tape by him. My mother gave me this tape. Listen to one message, but it's a message I never forgot. After 20 years, there was a principle that he introduced that transformed my life. You see, Joseph Garlington talks about this moment that I think we've all experienced before. It's, it's the moment maybe right at salvation Maybe for some of us when we're basking in the presence of God, or maybe for some of us when we're at a tipping point in our lives, we say something to the effect of this to God. God, you can have everything. God, you you can take it all. God, I lay my life before you. And when we say that, we're sincere, we mean it. And what we expect is that God is going to show up with a bulldozer, and he's going to scoop all of our stuff up and take it away. The problem is is that God doesn't show up with a bulldozer. He doesn't show up with any form of heavy artillery. He doesn't even show up with a shovel. When God arrives on the scene, he pulls something out of his pocket, and it is very simply a pair of tweezers. 
And he looks at our pile of stuff and he begins to pick through it. And he says, I don't want that. And I don't want that. And I don't want that. And then he navigates his way down to the very bottom of the pile. And he finds the one thing that we really want. And he says, I want that. Our, our rebuttal in that moment is, well, well, God, why don't you want all the other stuff? And his rabbinical reply is a question. He says, why would I want something you don't want? I want that. Every now and then, church, God shows up to the home in our heart. He knocks on the door, and his request is for that. I want that dream. I want those plans I want that relationship. What do you do when the thing that you want most makes its way to God's most wanted list? What do you do when God says, I want that in your life? When we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 22, the patriarch Abraham finds himself in that very predicament. He is well over 100 years old. He's enjoying a season of life with his son, Isaac. Remember, Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac is the son that he waited for for 25 years. Isaac represents his future. God interrupts this utopian experience with a pop quiz, a test of sorts. What is the purpose of a test from God. I think for us to answer this question, there's something that we need to understand. You see, in Scripture, you will notice that the word test, the word tempt, the word try is is usually used interchangeably. But for our purposes today, I want to create a delineation here. I want to create a distinction specifically between the word tempt and the word test because the word temptation carries with it a connotation. The word temptation, generally speaking, communicates this idea of an alluring to sin, a pulling towards evil. That is why James in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, when you are tempted, do not say you are tempted by God because God cannot be tempted by evil. When you are tempted, you are drawn away by your own evil desire. And so temptation speaks to this this pulling towards evil. A testing, on the other hand, speaks to a proving towards entrustment. It it, it is God trying to prove that you are ready to be entrusted with more. When you think about it, any teacher that is worth their salt, they don't give you a test to fail you. They give you a test to prove that you're ready to go to the next grade, to the next level, to be entrusted with more. And I just want to let some of you know today here at Embassy City Church that you are in a test. You're in a test on your job. You're in a test in your family. You're in a test in your finances. And it is not punishment. It is not punitive. It is God trying to prove that you are ready to be entrusted with more. It's a test. Now, what exactly is Abraham's test? By the way, how many of you in school were really good test takers? Like you didn't have to study much, but you could just take a test. Just raise your hand right now. I just want to tell you up front, I don't like you. Just straight up, I don't like you. What exactly is Abraham's test? God shows up and he says to Abraham, 
I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. I don't know about you, but this request is disturbing to me. If I'm really honest in church, I would prefer that the text read, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and I want you to take him on a vacation. It's time for you guys to go travel a little bit. I want you to take your son, and I want you to take him on a safari. I could deal with that. I want you to take your son, and I want you to take him on the sandy beaches of Hawaii. I could deal with that. That's my Jesus, right? That's, what, that's the Jesus I know. He says, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. To me, this request is cruel. This request is contradictory, and this request is confusing. This request is, first of all, cruel because, just as a reminder, I don't mean to be too vulgar here today, but what they did to animal sacrifices, they would slit their throats, cut them into pieces, and set them on fire. Because I'm from Louisiana, uh, what God really told Abraham to do is he said, I want you to kill him and cook him Cajun style. Think about the cruelty Think about the horrific nature of this. Think about the emotional distress that Abraham had to be under just to even think about doing that. It's cruel to me. Not only that, it's contradictory. Back in Genesis chapter 9, God speaks to Noah and he says, If a man takes another man's life, his life should be taken because man was created in the image of God. So God has already said, I don't want you to do this. But all of a sudden, here's this contradictory command. Not only that, it's confusing. God had spoken to Abraham and said, listen, Isaac is your future. And now you're asking to put the future on the altar. This works against my opinion of a really good God. Except for this. One thing that we have to understand about God is he will never ask you to do something that he hasn't already done or isn't willing to do. The only way he could get away with asking Abraham to sacrifice his son is because Jesus Christ, the lamb, was slain from the foundation of the earth. The only way God could bring it up is because he knew he would leave Jesus on a cross so he can make the request. And here, if we just cut through it, here's the real test. It's, it's the test that Abraham faced, and it's the test that we face today. God wants to know, Abraham, when you have the choice, do you choose the blessing or the blesser? Do you choose the promise or the promiser? Do you choose Isaac or the I am? That is the test. Now, here's the biggest question, though. How does Abraham respond? How does Abraham respond? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to write this down. Um, number one, Abraham, Abraham responds with worship. He responds with worship. In fact, let me give you another one before we go there. Number one, Abraham responds with obedience. And then we'll, we'll touch worship in a second. Abraham responds with obedience. The scripture says that after God speaks to him, 
It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled the donkey, took his two servants, and he and his son went on the way. Early the next morning. Now, you could argue the reason why he, he went early the next morning is because he didn't want Sarah to know what was going on. Because if she knew that what he was about to do to their son, she would have cut him. And, and, and so he's sneaking out the house to make sure mama doesn't wake up on this one. You could follow that train of thinking except for there's a pattern that you see in Abraham's life. You see, just in one chapter before, in Genesis chapter 21, God speaks to Abraham. He, he speaks to him about Ishmael, and he speaks to him about Hagar, and he tells, them to, he tells Abraham, listen to your wife. You need to send them away. The Bible says Abraham did not want to do it, but the next morning he sent them out. If you skip over a few chapters before then and you look at Genesis chapter 17, God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says the sign of the covenant will be circumcision. And Abraham, you are to circumcise every male in your household. And let me just tell you, if I was in Abraham's household, I would have an issue with that. I would be like, are you sure you heard God? Like, are you are you sure that was Jesus? And then next thing you know, I'm he gone. I'm out. I'm out. You can't. It says that Abraham, when it came to circumcising the men in his home, he did not wait three months. He did not wait three days. The scripture says that day he circumcised them all. That is because Abraham understands a principle I heard a pastor say many years ago. Delayed obedience is immediate disobedience. Delayed obedience is immediate disobedience. It, it reminds me of my, my two children. I, I told you about my, my daughter, Judah. She is my heart walking around. Uh, but, but she's kind of going through a phase right now where we are standing in faith for her salvation. Um, and, and, you know, she, she's in this mode where you tell her to do something. And, and, and then her response is why, right? And you have to rationalize things with a three-year-old. And if she doesn't like what you say, she may or may not comply, okay? And then that's when we teach her the more perfect ways of the Lord, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but, but then you have my son, Jaden, the real Christian in our home. Um, you know, he, he's 20 months old. He, he occasionally backslides, but he always comes back to Jesus, and he's just got this sweet heart. And so you'll tell Jaden, hey, Jaden, I want you to put this in the trash. Okay. Jaden, um, don't put your finger in the outlet. Okay. He's just, he's just complying. He's just cool. His heart's just soft. Whatever you say, Father, okay. I don't know about you, but I want my heart to be that way. I, I realize that even in Scripture, when you, when you start to read, there are times where people wrestle with God. I don't think God has a problem with it. There are times where people vocalize their struggles, their frustration. We see that all throughout the Psalms. But, but at the end of the day, if you ask me how I want my heart to look, I want it to look like my son's. I want my heart, when God speaks, we don't have to have a discussion. There doesn't have to be a debate. We don't have to deliberate about this. It is a decision to say, yes, God, I trust in your faithfulness. I will do what you say. Since some of you today, I'm going to speak this in love, you're in disobedience. Because you've delayed obeying what God spoke to you. Some of you years ago, some of you months ago, some of you last week. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And so Abraham says, I'm getting up and I'm going the next morning. 
Number two, Abraham's response is worship. He responds with worship. The scripture says that they leave and they start making their way. Theologians believe that it was probably about a 45-mile trek. So he's walking with his son. They get to the point where he sees this is where I'm going to make the sacrifice. It was a three-day-out journey, and he sees that point. He says, okay, I'm going to leave the servants here. And this is what he says. He says, the boy and I, we're going to go and worship and come back. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little confusing to me. We're going to go worship and come back? Like, like worship? There, there's no mention of music here. There's no mention of singing here. There's no mention of skinny jeans here because worship leaders have to wear skinny jeans. God, you know that. There's no mention of that at all. The, the only thing that we know is supposed to take place is a sacrifice. What is the connection between worship and sacrifice? See, the reality is, is that the first time worship is mentioned is in this scripture. So there must be some connection between worship and sacrifice. You know, worship comes from two words, worth-ship. It is an expression of worth or value. Now, to further illustrate this, uh, you need to know that my wife, um, I was actually interested in her before she was interested in me. Anybody ever been there before? Like, you're sweet on somebody. They're not necessarily sweet on you. Just be honest. You've been there, church. So I was sweet on her before she was sweet on me, and I decided to let her know I was sweet on her. So I remember us talking over the phone. I'm telling her, listen, I, I'm, I'm sweet on you. I'm interested in you. I don't think you feel the same way, but I just want to let you know here's where I am. And, and she didn't feel the same way. Um, in fact, when she explained how she felt to me, I summarized it back to her like this. I said, so what you're saying is um, that you're not ready for a relationship, and even if you were, you don't know if it would be me. And, and she said, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I said, wow, wow, okay. Now, now, for most men, that may be a deterrent. For me, what I heard was, so you're saying there's a chance. And, and so... So a, a few weeks later, my wife um, sends me a text message inviting me over for dinner at her home. Now, the reality is it actually wasn't my wife. Her sister had come in town. She grabbed her cell phone, and she sent me a text message. I didn't know that. I thought, here is my chance. She has invited me to the house. I jump in the car. I'm hustling over to the house. And, and then I did something. That, I'm not advocating this. This was wrong. I'm just telling you it was wrong. But I got a text message while I was driving from her. So I looked down at the text message. She was asking me to bring some ice cream. So she's just using me, okay, just using me. But that's okay. I don't care. I'm in love. So, so, so I looked down at this text message. It says, bring some ice cream. When I look back up, I slam into the back of a Ford F-150. Now, can I just tell you, I was driving a 2004 Cavalier, okay? They apparently are made out of different material than a Ford F-150 because my hood folded up. The lights started hanging down. Honestly, I actually totaled my car, totaled my car in that moment. And, and the, the girl that was driving the Ford F-150, I mean, she had a little damage, but, but you could tell this is a different manufacturer. So, so we get off the car. We exchange information because we're on the interstate. And then I have a decision to make when I get back in the car. I can either go home. I can go to the police station, or, or I could go see Aaron. So I decide in this moment, I'm going to see Aaron. 
So I drive this hood folded up car, light hanging down to her house. Knock on the door. I'm standing there. You can see my car in the background. I'm like, what's up? Listen, listen. If you had any doubt, girl, you need to know I will risk my life for you. Okay? I will risk my life for you. God honest truth, that changed our relationship. Things went way up after that weekend. But here's what I was saying to her. You're worth it to me. Here's what Abraham knew. Whatever you put on the altar is a statement to God to say, you are worth more. That's why it's worship. Listen, listen, what God is asking some of you for, he's giving you an opportunity to place it on the altar as a statement and expression and exchange of worship to say, God, no matter what, you are worth more. So he chooses to worship. Here's number three. Abraham responds with fear. Abraham responds with fear. As the story continues, they get to the place Abraham builds an altar. The Bible says he actually ties up his son and puts him on the altar. This is just a side note, but here's something you need to know. He tied up his son because that's protocol for sacrifices. He didn't tie up his son because his son was going to run away. You see, theologians believe, most theologians believe, he was, his son Isaac was probably between the ages of 17 and 37. I guarantee you he could have outrun his father. The only way Isaac makes it on the altar is if he chooses to get on the altar. Church, I don't know about you, but I want to raise the kind of kids that when they have the choice to run and be comfortable, they choose to get on the altar and be like Jesus. I want to raise the kind of kids that live out Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that in view of God's mercy, I offer my body as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing unto him, which is my spiritual act of worship. I want to raise those kind of kids. So he gets on the altar, and he's about to kill his son with a knife, and God speaks to him again. He says, Abraham, Abraham. He says, don't touch your son. Don't harm him in any way. And then remember what he said? He said, Abraham, don't do this. He said, now I know that you love me. No, that's not what he said. That's not what he said. Listen, I understand that Jesus teaches us that that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor yourself. I get that, but that's not what he said. He didn't say, now I know that you care about me. And And I get Abraham cared about God, but that's not what he said. What did he say? He said, now I know that you fear me. As if to say the greatest test in Abraham's life was a test of fear. What then is the fear of God? When you look at the word that's translated fear here, there are times in scripture that it is translated literally like scared. Or timid. I mean, you can look in Genesis chapter 32 when Jacob is praying to God. He's about to go meet his brother Esau, and he says, I'm scared. I'm afraid. So you have that, that connotation there. But I believe that in this context, God is speaking to it differently. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, the writer says that we should worship the Lord with a holy fear and awe. 
a reverence and an awe. You see, I believe when God speaks to the, the fear of God for a believer, he is speaking to a reverence and awe and esteem that puts God at the very first place in our lives. In fact, I believe that the fear of God is an esteem that actually encourages us to move close, not to move in cowardice. Let, let me explain. How many of you ever uh, watched the show uh, The Crocodile Hunter back in the day with Steve Irwin, bless his heart? Um, Steve Irwin was this crocodile hunter, and he would shoot this you know, shows, and he's with these incredible species of animals. And, and I remember watching him one day. He was in a den of Komodo dragons. So he's out in some Indonesian island, and he is hanging out with Komodo dragons. If you don't know what a Komodo dragon is, it's a big lizard. They can get to about 10 feet long, weigh about 150 pounds. Their saliva is venomous. He is in the den with them, not me. But I'm watching the show, and he's, he's walking around looking at these Komodo dragons. He's like, oh, they're so, he's from Australia. They're so beautiful, whatever. Um, and... And, and he just, they're awesome, they're amazing. And, and as he continues to talk about the awesomeness of this animal, instead of running away, he moves closer. There is something about the awesomeness, the reverence, the esteem, that instead of running away, it actually pulls him towards. See, I believe that's the fear of God for a believer. That there is such a reverence for God that it reels us in. It pulls us close. And here's what God says to Abraham. Now I know that you fear me. And then he says this. Because you did not withhold your son from me. Here's something we have to understand today, church. What you and I choose to withhold from God simply reveals the God that holds us. What you and I choose to withhold from God simply reveals the God that's holding us. So let me tell you two stories and I'll close. So about maybe 12 years ago now, I was coaching high school football and I was working with a parachurch ministry. And I received a phone call from a gentleman that worked at Gateway Church. Uh, I had known him since I was 13 years old. And he called me and he said, Jelani, uh, I, I've got uh, uh, an opportunity for you at Gateway Church. There's a position open in the children's ministry. And I uh, want to know if you would be interested in coming. Now, what you need to know is I never wanted to work for a church. I, I literally used to say to God, God, I will go to the jungles of Africa before I work for a church. And... And so he says, Jelani, I want to know if you work for a church. Now, listen, I respect this man, so I'm sure I told him I'd pray about it. But I knew the answer was no. There's no way I'm, I'm going to work for a church. And so a couple of days later, we got back on the phone. I said, no, not coming. And he said, why? So we started to talk about why. And then I got really honest with him. I said, listen, you know, here's what I'd seen in church. I, I don't, I don't want to work for a church. And then I also said, listen, I made some, some poor choices in my life, some poor choices in the area of sexual immorality and impurity. And I personally felt disqualified. I'm like, you don't want me. And so I start to go through all of these components with him saying, no, I'm not coming to work for a church. So in this phone conversation, he, he, he challenges me enough to where I get off the phone with him. And I said this to the Lord. I said, okay, Lord. I really want what you want. So if you want me to go work at this church, then I'm going to need you to speak to me. 
And so the Lord took me to a verse of scripture in Acts chapter 13, verse 36. And it's Paul talking about David. And Paul says this about David. He says, and when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, then he fell asleep. When I read that verse, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Jelani, this is part of your purpose in your generation. So then I was left with this. Jelani's plans, Jelani's dreams, Jelani's aspirations. Are you going to put your future on the altar, Jelani? If I had not placed my future on the altar, I would not be here. Some of you today, the that in your life is God saying, will you trust me with your future? Second story. This was December 15th of last year, so 2016. I know the date because it was payday. And, and so uh, this was a big day because that particular payday was the day that we received our, our Christmas bonuses, okay? So the check was, was bigger than the usual check. It also really mattered a lot to me because my wife and I had just closed on a house a couple days before, and I don't know how you guys feel, but, but my wife, um, it just never costs what we think, okay? Um, and so there's always more. Have you ever noticed that? Like, there's just always more. Babe, I thought it was, oh, we need this too. So anyway, we, we, we've, we've, she's great, but we've, we've just, we spent a lot. So, um, so then, so I'm looking at that saying, man, okay, you know, it's just expensive to do what we're doing. Uh, not only that, in order to move into the house, we had to break our lease. We were renting another home, and our lease wasn't actually up until March 10th, and this was December, like, you know, 13th or something like that. So, so we had to break the lease, but the problem was they said, you can get out of your lease, but you still have to pay rent until somebody moves in. So I'm looking at possibly playing mortgage on one house, rent on another home, looking at we just moved in, and, and it also is Christmas, right? So, so I see this check, because I didn't know exactly what the Christmas bonus would be. I see it, and I'm, I'm excited. Thank you, Jesus. I praise I'm, I'm excited. Excited. Then, then I'm sitting there, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And I felt like what he said was, Jelani, will you give me the check? Will you give me the check? Mm, 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 mm. I'm going to have to talk to my wife on this one. Um, you know, Lord, because we make, we make decisions in agreement, and uh, I just need to make sure it's, it's, it's you. So I go to my wife. I'm like, babe, what do you think about us giving the entire check you know, to the Lord? And, and I love my wife. She's like, Jelani, are you sure that's God? Are you sure? So me, I'm like, God, we're not in agreement. It can't be you. That was the devil. Got it. Got it. We're good. We're good. And so, so then I said to her, I said, well, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit asked me a question this morning. I feel like he said, will you give me the check? Then my wife totally flipped. She was like, the Holy Spirit asked you to give the check? I said, yes. Yeah. She said, oh, well, you better give him the check then. And I'm like, you don't even know how much money we have in the bank. I don't even know why I talk to you about stuff like this. I don't know. So I'm upset, right? 
I said, okay, okay, okay. Now, now here's what I would love to tell you. I would love to tell you that I had the Abrahamic response. That day, here it is, Lord. That was not me. That was not me. In fact, here's, here's how I really felt. My feelings were hurt. My feelings were hurt because here, here's how I felt. The Lord has blessed my wife and I. We've been able to, to help people, to bless people. And, and for our income level, we feel like we've been able to give extravagantly. And, and so I felt like this. God, the one time, the one time I have a little extra, you want to take it? So my feelings were hurt. Like, why would you even ask, God? You know the circumstances of the family. So my, my feelings are literally hurting. So I'm wrestling through all of this. I said, okay, okay, I'm going I'm to give you the check, Lord. Now, now, this is just the truth. This is how I played it out in my mind. Because I'm a preacher, right? And we got to have a preacher story. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give the Lord a check. Two days later, I'm going to get an unexpected check in the mail. We're going to have a service, right? That's, come on, that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, the, the problem was there was no unexpected check in the mail. Uh, so then I said, okay, I got it, God. I know how this is going to play out. Um, I'm going to give you the check. Somebody is going to decide they want to move into the other home, and it's going to be taken care of. I got it. They moved into the other home two months later. Here's the truth. I gave the check. There was nothing that happened in the natural. But there was something that happened in my heart. Because God doesn't want my money. Listen, church, God doesn't want your dreams. God doesn't even want your relationships. The only reason why God taps on that in your life is because it's connected to your heart. And God always wants your heart. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on social media at Embassy Irving.